Hey everybody, Jeremy Markovich here. Two quick notes before we get going. First, this podcast has a new home. It's now part of the North Carolina Rabbit Hole, which you can find at ncrabbithole.com. There you can check out previous episodes of Away Message. You can find any new episodes that we're putting out. And if you like this podcast, I think, no guarantees, but I think you will like my weekly newsletter. It is about weird North Carolina stuff. Comes out every Thursday. It is free if you want it to be. And you can sign up at ncrabbithole.com. Second, this episode was produced during my time at Our State Magazine. Now, I happen to think that most of it still holds up, but some of the promo codes and websites that I mention may no longer work. Okay, here's the show. Got a fly in the back of your head. Yeah. That's a yellow biting fly. When you go to exotic places, you meet exotic bugs. They tend to bite hard. That is Adam Carver. His job, superintendent of the Dismal Swamp State Park, which is part of the Great Dismal Swamp, which at this moment is full of yellow biting flies. For some reason, they like an idling vehicle. When we come out here, they'll, they'll swarm around the vehicle. Shut the vehicle off and sit here and they'll go away. But it's weird. I'm trying to get in the car before they follow me in. There's another one. You got a tick? Yep. Oh boy. The ticks I don't really mind as much as the chiggers. Yeah. Chiggers are really painful. What is the upside of, for somebody who's coming out here on foot? Because it sounds like it's really hard to, to get around and there are bugs everywhere. It's an excellent place to get away from traffic, to get away from, there's a fourth one, fourth tick. Oh, jeez. <laughs> the insects are one thing, but there are also butterflies. Is the Hessel's hair streak. Turtles. Those are yellow belly sliders. As well as bigger animals, much bigger animals. Well, I can remember being a little boy with my daddy back there. As we were coming down that path alongside that canal, a big bear come out. That is Gary Meigs, a third-generation logger who worked in the swamp for decades. And I remember my daddy looking at me, I'm telling him, Daddy, Daddy, there's a bear. Dad said, oh, heck, son, just blow the horn, tell him, get out of the way. I mean, anytime you got insects, things of that nature, that's just all part of working outside. You, you don't get excited about it. How do you keep the insects off you? Swat them. <laughs> you swat them. <laughs> Back in the day, Gary and his family cut cedar, cypress, and juniper in the Great Dismal Swamp and loaded the logs onto rail cars. And my father had a small one of those small gauge railroads because I remember being a little boy going up there and watching that work. You know, watching the little train come in and out. And, but that's what they did. They built a, a, a rail right through the swamp. And, and that was all by hand. I mean, there wasn't any machines. It was cut down by hand. It was trimmed up by hand. It was, it was pulled with a rope and then loaded on the little rail cars that went out to the road. It was a job. Coming up, who the heck wanted to go hang out in the swamp? With all the flies and the mosquitoes. That's a good point. 
who does want to go and hang out in the swamp? The answer, a lot of people. A few years back, if you had mentioned eco-tourism here, we would have done our best to have laughed you out of this county. But I can assure you, it's a very viable industry. You ever go back in the in the swamp? I'm not walking in it. I'll tell them all the time. Anytime they've got somebody they want to carry in there, if we can ride, I'm going. At the State Park Visitor Center, I found two visitors wandering around. I'm Kate, or Kathleen. And I'm Bruce. Uh, what's your last name? Lee. Bruce Lee? Yes, and you thought he was dead, didn't you? Well, until now. Kathleen and Bruce came here from Delaware, specifically to see the swamp. And they're both happy with what they've found. Although, there is one thing. Uh, did you think it would be a little more um, swampy? Well, yes. You could see why people would think that. This place is named the Great Dismal Swamp. And yeah, there are a lot of bugs. Did you get them? Yeah. Got him. But things here are not what they seem. And there are stories about the people who once lived here, deep in the swamp, that are just now starting to be told. This place has secrets that you can only discover if you see them firsthand. From Our State Magazine, this is Away Message, a podcast about what you find in hard-to-find places. I'm Jeremy Markovich. What are we stopping at here? Um, this is the this is the old railroad bed. It doesn't look like an old railroad bed because it's so grown up. In fact, I can't even like see where it is. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I'm taking your word for it. Yeah. Adam Carver is driving me around on old logging roads that are now used as hiking and biking trails. We're a few miles inside the Dismal Swamp State Park, which is up in northeastern North Carolina along the Virginia border. And Adam assures me that somewhere back in the thick thorny underbrush, we're going to find some old rails. But first, we have to find a hole in the brush. So that's it. This is the hole. This is the hole. This is the hole. We're going into the hole. And very quickly, the vegetation gets so thick that it's like the plants are trying to reach out and grab us. Get a vine around your gun there, which is probably not a good thing. You've never had this swamp, you know, yank your gun out of your holster, have you? I have a couple times. Couple times? After a few minutes of swatting and stepping our way through the briars, we finally reached a stopping point, and we can't find the rail. We're not going to find the rail. It's so thick and green here, you could trip on it and still not see it. I trust you there's a rail back here. There it is. <laughs> you want to try to get back to wherever it is we came from? Right. About what, about 50 yards back in there maybe? At most. Yeah. At most. And it took us a good 10 minutes to get... Uh, it's a thick place. Yeah. It's a thick place. So here's something you can probably figure out. The woods here are really, really dense. But in a lot of places, the ground is not wet. 
or soggy. In fact, the Great Dismal Swamp isn't as great as it used to be, or as dismal, or as swampy. The first thing that you told me was, you know it's not as much of a swamp as it used to be, right? George Washington um, had a, a role in, in making the Dismal Swamp what it is today. In 1763, long before he became our country's first president, Washington decided to drain the swamp. It was a private business venture, um, and his main goal was to cut the timber off the land. The plan? Sell the logs and turn the swamp into farmland. So in the process of cutting the timber, they dug the, the canals and um, drained, the land, drained the water off the land in order to get to this, the timber. Those canals, which are still there today, drained off a lot of water and made the swamp much, much smaller. It once covered more than a million acres. Today, only about 10% of that is left in North Carolina and Virginia. And so the things you normally think of in swamps, knee-high water, um, great big cypress trees, great big cedar trees, and that's what the swamp used to be. It's just not what it is today. So you have waders, but we may not, we probably don't need waders. No, you won't. <laughs> Right, well, after we give up on finding the rail, we get back in the pickup truck and follow a straight gravel road that runs alongside a canal. And then, in the northwestern corner of the park, on the Virginia state line, things get very different. Behind us, we were, we had this, uh, it's been like thick and lush, and all of a sudden now it's just flat and open. It's all watery, and there's dead trees and logs, and it, it's just, I mean, it looks like a bunch of you know, telephone poles almost just sticking up out of water. Mm -hmm. This is where the fire went through. A few years ago, there was a big wildfire. Fires in the Dismal Swamp tend to be very large and be very devastating because of, because of the peat soil. Normally, a fire spreads horizontally. This fire just kept going down, deeper into the ground. The fire in 2013 burned for, for three months. During those three months, we had a hurricane come through and drop close to 15 inches of rain and still did not put the fire out. Oh, man. And when it finally stopped burning, it left a lot of burnt trees in a very big hole. And as it rained, that depression was filled in with, with water. So literally, the fire took a six-foot chunk out of the ground. Absolutely. Now we turn left and head back into the woods. We get out, find another hole, snag my foot, ugh, and stomp our way back through the tangles of vines and thorns and leaves until... What kind of trees are we looking at here? These are Atlantic white cedars that's probably 200, maybe even older. This is the only um, stand of mature Atlantic white cedar that the park has. Why aren't there more? Well, they like the wet environment. Um, if you feel under your feet, it's kind of it's kind of spongy. Um, that's the peat soil. Um, they like that that they like that peat soil. They like the wet environment. So the idea might be that if this does return to more of a natural state, that these trees could come back. Hopefully, that's the hope. So, how do you undrain the swamp exactly? Okay, so this is one of our four water control structures. Um, 
We actually don't maintain this one. This is maintained by the wildlife refuge. Basically, Adam and his fellow rangers are able to dam up a few of the canals and hold water back. So just, just to describe what we're seeing here, I mean, so this, on the, on one side, it's just black water slowly moving toward this dam that we're standing on top of. And when it's flowing over, it looks just like coffee. And uh, on the other side, it's just foam, like a big bubble bath worth of, uh, of foam because of the tannic acid in the water. Great. And that water, believe it or not, is really, really clean. The decaying vegetation in the swamp turns it black and also puts tannic acid in the water, which keeps bacteria from living in it. One of Adam's buddies, a tour guide, has been known to dip a cup right in the canal and take a big gulp of water. You know who still isn't convinced, though? Kids. Nine times out of ten, their reaction is, ooh, it's, it's black water. Look at the foam on top of the water. It looks like somebody peed on it. As soon as they say that, I turn around and ask them if they like sweet tea from Bojangles or Hardee's or McDonald's, any of the fast food places that have sweet tea, because sweet tea has the same tannic acid that the Dismal Swamp water has. And if you take the lid off of the sweet tea dispenser, it's going to have the same foam on top of the sweet tea that the dismal swamp water has when the water is agitated. It's where the foam comes from is the tannic acid. So this is sweet tea foam. It's not like latte foam. That's right. That's right. Different kind of foam. Yeah. I'm not sure where latte foam comes from. Yeah, me neither. That's a mystery of science. After a few hours, we head back to the visitor center near a canal so big it's now an alternate route on the intracoastal waterway. And we actually finally see some hikers. Only the, like the last half mile before we got back to we start seeing people again out here. But in my opinion, that's kind of the beauty of the Dismal Swamp. You can, you can get way out there and not see anybody. And sometimes that's what you need. Get away from everything. A lot of people come here to do just that. Some for a day, some for an hour. But for centuries, thousands of people came to this swamp and then they disappeared, vanished, on purpose. And only now are we finally discovering their hiding places. Their story, when away message continues. Good afternoon, how are you today? Pretty good. How are you doing? Good. How can we help you? Well, I'm, I'm in the Welcome Center that sits between Highway 17 and the main canal that runs through the Great Dismal Swamp. And I'm about to get a look at some really small things that tell a much bigger story. Becca Pichado opens a small bag and starts pulling out little plastic bags. Inside each one is a tiny little artifact. For some, it's easy to figure out what they are. So we have the this groundstone axe. For others, it's not. We have a piece of um, faunal remains, a piece of burned bone. You're arranging them from maybe very small, tiny little rocks and flakes to slightly larger rocks and flakes. Yeah. So how do you know that these are artifacts? Right. Well, there's this aspect of, of any rocks that's that's in the swamp today had to have come from, from somewhere else. It wouldn't have been naturally occurring. Which means anything that looks like a rock is 
probably an artifact left behind by somebody who actually lived here, in the swamp. Becca just got her doctorate in archaeology from American University, but as a student, she and others did a lot of research in this area. Basic question, how do you know where to dig? In the swamp, it's tricky. We look for islands because they're easiest to dig on. It's very hard to dig where it's very wet and muddy and soggy. And you don't need to dig very far. All of this stuff was found in the top two inches of peat soil. Of course, some things like a stone axe are easy to identify. And one of my field assistants found it and she's like, I think that's important. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that would be important. (laughs) Anyway, all of these things were left behind by people who lived in the swamp between the 1600s and the Civil War. A lot of people back in that day did not want anything to do with the swamp. The colonial Europeans did a really good job of portraying it as, a, they called it a desert, actually, um, as being you know devoid of life and, and uninhabitable. And it really wasn't devoid of life at all. There was plenty of life and plenty of things and plenty of resources in the swamp. In fact, it was a place where food was actually abundant. There's turtles, there's frogs, there's fish, there's bear, there's birds, there's deer, there are all kinds of things to eat, right? It's a pretty rich environment. There's pawpaws, there's all kinds of blackberries, wild rice, you know, all of these things are are available in the swamp if you know what you're looking for and, and where to go to find it. And there was one group of people who knew that, who went there both to live and to hide. Escaped slaves. Many of those slaves were familiar with swamps in West Africa, and they also knew that slave catchers, for the most part, would not follow them into the swamp. And on on a few occasions, they they were successful, but more often than not, it seems like from the historical accounts, they got partway in and said, "Mm, okay, I'm done, and left again. And because of that, these escaped slaves called Maroons built entire communities. Some of them were only two miles from either a canal or the edge of the swamp. In fact, a lot of times, Maroons interacted with slaves that were sent into the swamp to cut shingles. These enslaved laborers would sometimes come back to their headquarters with way more shingles than any individual could um, could turn up in that amount of time. And that's one of the ways that we know that the enslaved laborers and the Maroons were working together out in the sort of um, remote areas of the swamp. They would subcontract to get some uh, get shingles made. And in return, the enslaved laborers might get supplies from the outside world like glass or perhaps some food or perhaps just the idea that their, their location where they were was going to be kept secret, a bit of protection. The story of the Maroons in the Great Dismal Swamp was never really widely known, but it was known. The problem, though, was always this. The Maroons didn't keep journals, and their stories were only collected here and there. But as Becca and the team from American University discovered more and more, they got an idea of how the Maroons lived. No buildings remained, nor do any wooden tools. But from things like nails, bits of scorched rock, and carved soapstone, we now know that Maroons built cabins on islands. They cooked meat over fires. They even made jewelry. This is a soapstone a little nugget of soapstone that has been carved into a pendant, right? So these are not just people who are worried about finding projectile points or making projectile points to hunt, but they're having some 
they're having full lives. Right? They're having families, they're having lives, they're having reasons for personal adornment. So this, this is really as close to, you know, raw truth as you can get, even though it doesn't tell you a whole heck of a lot about, I mean, it tells you a lot, but doesn't, doesn't give you like names and, you know, stories and that sort of thing. And, you know, when we first excavated this little soapstone pendant, the last person that touched it, when we picked it up out of the ground, the last person that touched it was probably a maroon, you know, um, in the 18, sometime in the 1800s. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's an interesting connection to those people whose lives I will never be able to understand, mm -hmm. but I can hopefully help interpret what we know about their lives in a way that, that other people can, can relate to it and can see its importance in, the, in, the hist in African American history and in American history. After leaving the visitor center, I head north, out of the state park and into the Great Dismal Swamp Wildlife Refuge that mostly makes up the rest of the swamp. I'm driving along the canals that were hand dug by slaves until I get to the end of a long gravel road that dead ends at Lake Drummond at the center of the swamp. If you had a camera here, you would get this shot of this cypress tree that is, you know, like 25 yards offshore in the water with just nothing but lake behind it. It's, it's like one of those postcard inspirational sort of deals. Also an airplane flying overhead. I walk out onto a small dock and sit on a bench and just look and listen and realize that even on all of the trips I've taken to all of these remote places, this is the first place where I've been by myself. And it's just, it's just, it's nice to be alone. Like I can't, there's no cell service out here. I can't call anybody. Nobody can call me. I can't post anything online. I can't. I can't do anything. I can't do it. There's so many things I can't do. And it's like, it's so refreshing to be in a place where you can't do things. It's still possible to come here and hide, you know, when you need to. Next time on Away Message, what happens when someone floods a valley and creates a lake that separates you from the final resting place of your loved ones? We visit a hidden cemetery and meet a woman who kept graveyards like this from disappearing into the woods forever. Like, like how amazing is it what she did? They would have been lost. Most of these cemeteries would have been lost. It would have ended up that nobody knew where they were. That's coming up in our next episode. Can feel time running out, and my busted legs they heading south. Well, there is a lady of the swamp that'll meet me in my avalanche. Away message is produced, written, and edited by me, 
Jeremy Markovich. Our digital manager is Andy Busum. Our music coordinator is Rosalie Catanoso. And our editor-in-chief is Elizabeth Hudson. Our theme song is by The Collection. Our closing song is by Wurlitzer Prize, a terrific band from Winston-Salem. Additional music by Lee Rosphere. A big thank you this week to Donna Stewart, Wanda McLean, Dr. Dan Sayers, and the rest of his team at American University. If you would like to see some pictures of the artifacts that Becca and the others found in the Great Dismal Swamp, maybe read more about the Maroons, and even figure out how to visit there yourself, head over to away.rstate.com and click on this episode. This podcast is a production of Our State Magazine, celebrating North Carolina for more than 80 years. If you like this show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Give us a rating or leave us a review. It really helps others find the show. And before we go, yes, there is a lot of wildlife in the Great Dismal Swamp, but there's one type of animal that nobody's found here. What's the funniest question you think you've you've gotten from somebody who's come in um, and asked about asked you something about the swamp? If we have sharks in the swamp, really? Yep. And what do you tell them with a straight face? It's hard to it's hard to keep a straight face. We're heading back out to another remote part of North Carolina. We'll see you again right here next Thursday. <laughs>